Welcome to Why Did You Run, an occasional podcast about why someone chooses to run for elected office. Rather than focusing directly on their political views, we're searching to understand that magic moment when thinking about running for office became a reality. Today we're speaking with Brooke Learman, a member of the House of Delegates for Maryland. She represents a diverse set of neighborhoods that includes some of the most affluent and some of the most economically challenged. Brooke was elected the House of Delegates in 2014 and received her law degree from the University of Texas in 2008. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks Welcome. for having me. And I should tell everyone this is our first uh, on-site, out-of-the-office uh, recording. Hey. We are in Fells Point at Patango Cafe. Thank you for meeting me. Absolutely. This is, it's great. So you went to high school in Bethesda, Maryland and went on to Dartmouth for your undergraduate and then UT. Why did you move to Baltimore? Um, I like to say I wasn't born in Baltimore, Baltimore, but I got here as fast as I could. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, w I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., um, and then we moved to Bethesda when I was in eighth grade, and I went to public high school in Montgomery County, as you know. And so I never really felt like I had a home. I, I mean, I, after D.C., I moved to Hanover for four years for college. I did AmeriCorps in Burlington, Vermont. I went and worked for Paul Wellstone in Minnesota. I, worked for Howard Dean in Wisconsin, you know, I, and then I went to law school in Texas. So I was really, and I lived in DC for a year in between. So I was all over the place and I was sort of searching for my home. And um, the more I thought about it and the more I learned about Baltimore, the more I was intrigued by it. And I applied for a clerkship while I was in law school and managed to secure a federal clerkship in Baltimore. So dragged my husband, who's originally from New Hampshire, um, dragged him down here and uh, the rest is history. So, so, so what attracted you about being a lawyer? Um, originally, although I took the LSAT right after college, I wasn't convinced at that point that I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to sort of pursue all ends before making that huge commitment of three years and lots of money <laughs> um, and before deciding to do that. What I knew what I wanted to do was that I wanted to be able to use any skills that I had to empower people um, to make change in their communities. And so I started off as an AmeriCorps VISTA, working at a mentoring organization that I helped start um, in college. And VISTA was a phenomenal opportunity to work with people in public housing and learn more about the challenges um, and be useful. Um, and, and then I went and then I started organizing and I worked and I worked on Paul Wellstone's campaign and I loved that you know he was such a man of the people and was all about community organizing and I loved working with people to help reelect him um, because he was such an organizer um, but really it was it was through my organizing work that I realized that there was this big thing called the law that would actually be really helpful because it's an it's a it's a toolkit you know you're organizer toolkit that you can bring tools and skills to people that they don't have um, to help them realize whatever goals they're pursuing. And so ultimately I decided I wanted to go to law school because I felt like it was an important tool to add to my repertoire and to add to my toolkit so that when I came to people I had something else, another way that I could help them and another way that I can empower them. Mm. So, so you spent a good time in Dartmouth and New Hampshire and Texas and, and granted it was Austin as yeah. <laughs> one might say a blue dot in the middle yeah. of a red state. It was a wonderful three years. <laughs> I, I'm wondering what differences and similarities you saw living in different parts of the country. That's a good question and I will say I was pretty intentional um, about my applications to law school. I loved going to College of Dartmouth. I had a phenomenal experience. I learned so much and was challenged in a way that I had never been challenged before both academically and socially. Um, 
and started my organizing, I would say, while at Dartmouth because there were a number of things, you know, problems with the fraternity system, real um, women's equity issues that I encountered there that I had never encountered in the bubble of Bethesda and DC that I lived in. And so, you know, led a number, a couple of protests, spoke out, um, you know, about what I saw as some of the injustice happening at Dartmouth. And, but really learned about rural poverty at Dartmouth um, and in Hanover, because Hanover is a, a bubble in itself. Um, well, that's true. I guess, you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. here in Baltimore were, were, were used to discussing the issue of poverty and, and income, income inequality. What's, what's the difference between rural poverty and urban poverty? It's a good question. Um, I think, you know, there are a lot of differences, and I'm not a sociologist, but, you know, just from my observation, one of the things that I noted that is in some ways similar but physically different is when we would go, when I would go work with kids at this public housing development in um, the Upper Valley of New Hampshire and Vermont, these kids were totally isolated from everything else around them. There was no public transportation to take them anywhere. They were stuck in this small enclave of very small apartments. Um, and, you know, they'd never been to Dartmouth, which was, you know, a couple miles away. Uh, and so they were very isolated physically um, in a way that doesn't exist. I mean, it can exist here in Baltimore in a strange way. You know, you can live in a public housing development and never walk three blocks to the park because you don't feel welcome and it's not your space. But you could, but, you know, you right. don't. It, yeah. It's almost as, is, as if you, as all things with the city, you sort of have that opportunity there right. to, to move yourself either just for an experience of going to the BMA from living in Sandtown, if that's... Right if that makes you do it, but right. but there's no BMA in, in, right. in, in rural areas. And there's nowhere to get there. I mean, there's just no, they're physically isolated. So we did, I'll never forget, we did a, um, a trip to Boston after um, the first year of starting this organization, Dream, this mentoring program when I was at Dartmouth. So I was, I think it was my sophomore spring, and we took a bunch of kids down to Boston. And there's a lot you can do when you don't worry about liability insurance. <laughs> so we took a bunch of kids down to Boston, and we were getting on the T, and they were going to take the escalator down the big tunnel to the T, and the kids had never seen an escalator before. And these are kids in like seventh and eighth grade. Wow. I mean, it was like, I, I, it was mind boggling, you know? So uh, not even a mall. No, they hadn't gone to a mall, or if, the, if they'd been to a mall, it'd been one level, you know? I mean, there isn't a mall up there, but yeah. So I think just the physical isolation and lack of seeing opportunity around them wow. was really striking and taught me a lot. So people will say that Bethesda and Baltimore are two very <laughs> different places in the same state. Yes. What do you think they have in common? Um, I mean, I think they have in common what every community in Maryland has in common, right? They want, you know, the, the folks in Bethesda want great schools to send their kids to. They want high quality of life. They want, you know, they, they don't want crime in their neighborhoods. They want green neighborhoods. They want nice parks. They want housing to be affordable. Um, which it is less and less in Montgomery County. Um, so I think, you know, there is so much more similarity of aspiration than difference. Where the difference comes in, I think, is a lot of on-the-ground realities with what local governments are able to do, the capacity of local government to meet the needs of their people. Montgomery County's local government just has so much greater capacity to, to meet the needs of the folks in Montgomery County than Baltimore City's local government does. So I actually haven't asked you directly, what was that magic moment? 
Um, so I was living in Baltimore City and working at a small law firm and doing a lot of pro bono work with community groups to uh, help close down or regulate bad bars and bad liquor stores that were ruining their communities. So cops were coming all the time. It was attracting bad, um, bad elements because one corner in Baltimore can really make or break a neighborhood. Well, all of our liquor law and the liquor board, all of our liquor law is state law, and the liquor board appointees were appointed by the governor, and they were not neighborhood friendly. And I was going in with all the facts on my side and the law on my side, with community groups on my side, and losing. And I thought, this is wrong. You know, this is not how it's supposed to be. And um, eventually, I had a big victory with the Highland Town Community Association and shutting down a bad bar there. And I thought, I was so excited that we finally won, but I realized that you know one victory at a time wasn't enough, um, and that there was so much that was affecting the city from the state level. Um, I was trying to take the bus places, and it was never coming, you know, it was late all the time. City schools, when I was touring, thinking about you know where we were gonna send our kid eventually, like there was lead in all the water, you couldn't drink out of the water fountains. And I had this realization, that it's not just about city politics and what the mayor and the city council can do, that this is really about how the state affects the city and affects our neighborhoods and our families on a daily basis. And it was then that I decided that I wanted to run for state office um, and that I wanted to be a voice at the state level for families and communities in Baltimore City. That's true. So much of, of Baltimore and, mm -hmm. and even like Anne Arundel County, I believe, their school board is elected by... Mm -hmm. The, appointed by the governor? Anne Arundel County is, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, yes, I, it, there's just, and you know, so much of school funding comes from Annapolis um, for Baltimore City. You know, we're totally dependent on the state for our school funding. So, you know, I just decided, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I talked to a number of people and I thought, wow, you know, there is a place for a young working mom and there is a place for somebody who really wants to represent communities. Um, at the state level and be an ally for communities at the state level and that's really what I've tried to do you know I work I love passing statewide legislation that's meaningful but I also really try to focus on putting in bills that I know will benefit Baltimore City communities mm. so so did working on these national campaigns make it easier for you or more I guess you were more knowledgeable about how to put a campaign together when you finally did decide to run yes I, I often say that putting my campaign together was like putting my wedding together. I'd seen so many friends get married before I finally got married. I was able to say, oh, I like that about your wedding and I didn't like that about your wedding and just take all the things that I liked and put those pieces into my wedding. It was the same with the campaign. So I saw so many people and different ways of campaigning and different ways of treating volunteers, different ways of empowering volunteers, different ways of organizing or staying organized. Um, I was really fortunate to be able to work under on the on the Kerry campaign, Robbie Mook, who was Hillary's Hillary Clinton's campaign manager this past time around, and he's brilliant. And so I learned so much from working, you know, day to day with him um, for the final month of the Kerry campaign in Wisconsin, um, where we did win. <laughs> we won Wisconsin. <laughs> um, and so I was able to take those lessons that I'd learned, all the things that I had liked, and incorporate those elements into my campaign. Um, and I got to shape it and be in charge for the first time, <laughs> which was wonderful. So you've done all this around the country, different campaigns. What surprised you about campaigning and elections in Maryland? I don't know that it was remarkably different. I think for me, you know, I have a very political family, 
but that political family is not a Baltimore political family. It's a Montgomery County political family. My father was, ran for Congress in 2000 and was the chair of the Maryland Democratic Party. And I wanted to make sure that I was running my own campaign and it was about me and not my family and that people understood, you know, people knew me and not my family. So that was important to me. Um, so I think if I'd run someplace else, like in Montgomery County, it would have been more about my family. But because in Baltimore, I'm, I, I am nobody knows. You know, at least people on the ground don't know the rest of my family. I was able to be my own person in a way that was very freeing. Um, but I don't know if it was, you know, remarkably different than other places. I think I will say it was um, incredibly invigorating. One thing I didn't realize what happened and that still happens is I will say honestly every time somebody volunteers for me and says they'll knock a door or anytime I get a contribution I'm still surprised I'm like really you want to do that for me that's amazing thank you you know and and I hadn't experienced that level of sort of like being honored really by people giving up their time giving up their hard-earned resources when I'd worked for Wellstone or Dean or Carrie because I just thought well of course you should work for you know this is your US senator and this is your this person is running for president and we need to do that and I took it for granted you know I was running for state delegate and I was really overwhelmed by the enthusiasm um, of people to help and work with me. It's been an, the most incredible experience I've ever had. So what's the part about, about it that you don't like? <laughs> you never turn it off if you're an effective public servant. You know, I think, I believe in my core that when you are elected, you are always representing people. And so I love that and I don't love it. <laughs> I won't say I hate it because I don't hate it, but it can be difficult, you know, when I really want to disconnect and... Um, go away on vacation for a week. I put an auto reply on, but I'm still checking my email because something big could happen. I gave birth uh, you know, this November um, to a baby girl and a few nights later, we were, I was up at 4 a.m. writing a letter to Governor Hogan asking for state police um, and more resources to help with our fight against violent crime in the city. So there's really no turning it off, I think, if you are doing your job how you're supposed to be doing your job. What was it like when you realized you won? I mean, you actually got more votes than the incumbents <laughs> running yes. for re-election. Why did that, how did, how did you manage that? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know how I managed that. I love both of them. Pete and Luke are amazing um, delegates and I'm really wonderful working with both of them. I was just meeting with Pete today at City Hall to talk about community development. Um, so I love, and you know, Luke and I do so much together. I was, um, sitting at a picnic table outside where our election night party was when uh, Senator Ferguson called me from Cherry Hill where he was to start sending me some numbers of from polling places down there and I had seen the early vote numbers and seen that I'd won an early vote and he said to me Brooke you won and I was like oh this is great I won and he was like no no you won like you came in first and I was like what? <laughs> and it, it took a little while to process, to be honest. Um, and it was it was really overwhelming um, and exciting. Um, but, you know, I also just thrilled to be one of the three um, and to be able to work with Pete and Luke um, for the folks in District 46 and for all of Baltimore, because so much of what we do is for the whole city, not just for our residents. You know, when we fight for funding for schools, it's for the whole city, right? When we're working on environmental issues, it's for the whole city. You know, when we're working on planning stuff or bringing home money for the city or on the budget, it's for the whole city. So we all have to work together.
You're a working mom. I am. <laughs> and, and you have two children. In, in fact, one of your children, who's, who's with us today, yes. was born just uh, several months ago. Yep. Um, so I think a lot of people, not just women, but I think a lot mm -hmm. of people with a young family would put off the decision to run for elected office till the kids were at least in grade school. But, <laughs> but you didn't. How did you, how did you make all that work? Yes, I actually started running for office while on maternity leave with my first child. I had started doing meetings with people while I was still pregnant, and then when I was on leave, I started meeting with community leaders like in earnest. Um, and I think my campaign kickoff was um, six months, like the same week that my son turned six months old. And in my mind, it was just the right time for me. And being a mom and having a young child felt like it was even more the right time because you know, my kids were gonna go to public school and my kid, we were raising our family in the city and I looked around at the, the delegation representing the city in Annapolis and I didn't see a lot of young parents, but that's an important voice. Um, you know, we go down there and we fight for money for public schools. Well, I have a personal stake in that. You know, my kids are going to go to those schools and I think it's important to demonstrate to the rest of the Maryland delegation that we have a personal stake. You know, everybody brings their own viewpoint, and the viewpoint of a young working mom is a valid and important viewpoint to bring to Annapolis, I think. Um, that said, it's hard. <laughs> um, and it's a lot, and I, and I can't door knock every single night like you know my, uh, my teammates can, because every once in a while, I do need to see my family. So I try to do, I do outreach in other ways, you know, by having meetings and being present and bringing, doing more events. All these viewpoints are important. So, so I know it sounds sort of terribly <laughs> sexist to ask no. about the difference between being a man or a woman yeah. in politics. You, you, you'd think we'd be past that <laughs> by this point. But we're not. But we're not. <laughs> I'm wondering what thoughts you might give to women who are considering yeah. running for office. What do you want them to know? It's important that they're at the table. Um, I think it's Kirsten Gillibrand who says, if you are not, uh, if you're not at the meal you're on the menu <laughs> you know if you're not sitting and participating then you're not going to get your share and I think that's an important viewpoint um, and it's true um, so and it's doable you know you need a strong support system you need if you're married you need a husband who's gonna work with you um, and it is very different but we need women at the table without them um, the dynamic doesn't change I'm also just as an aside I'm only the third woman state legislator to give birth while in office in all Maryland history. Really? Yes. <laughs> it does not happen very often. Um, whereas I have a number of male colleagues who've had whose wives have had babies in the past couple of years. So it's very there are very few young women in uh, in the state legislature, and I think you know I'd love to do whatever I can to help change that because I'd like some friends to commiserate about childcare costs. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say at that point there's. What accommodations do they make for, for mothers with an infant? Have you, have you checked that out? Session starts no. next week? No, somebody, somebody dared me to, to nurse on the house floor, and I said, there's no eating allowed on the house floor. <laughs> well, I guess some rules do have to be followed. Right. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I'll, you know, we, we're going to have uh, lots of help with her during session, like we had with my son, and but... You know, I drive back and forth, and we make it work. <laughs> so I, I know she's she's waking up. For for, for those of you listening, she Brooke's beautiful daughter has been has been sitting here quietly, and we can see she's getting a, li a little hungry, perhaps. What? But the, what's your biggest satisfaction since you've become a de delegate? 
Um, working with people, working with my constituents, and make and seeing change happen, even when it takes a while. One of the first things that I worked on was um, I got a call from the PTO at Francis Scott Key uh, Elementary Middle School in Locust Point because they were interested in having a Weinberg library at their school, and there was some concern that North Avenue wasn't supporting them and whether Weinberg would stick around. And so I said, well, I'll just stick my head in the middle of it and talk to North Avenue and talk to the Weinberg Foundation and we'll see what we can do. We had a lot of phone calls and there were a lot of meetings. And about three months ago, I went to the ribbon cutting of the new library and saw the parents and saw the kids see the library. And it's just, I mean, even today, it sort of makes me want to cry. Like being, knowing that I played some small role in moving the ball forward and helping to make that happen is amazing. And your biggest disappointment? <laughs> I think my biggest disappointment, or I don't know if it's a disappointment, but a frustration, um, is that I sometimes feel like the rest of the state doesn't understand the responsibility that I think we have to Baltimore City. Maryland is never going to be a great state until Baltimore City reaches its full potential. And I don't know that all the electeds around Maryland share that viewpoint. Sometimes it feels like they'd rather just you know, cut us off and let us float away into the bay. Um, and I get frustrated at, um, I don't know if it's my inability or our city's inability or what it is to, to convince them that it's worth investing in Baltimore City, in our kids, in our schools, in our infrastructure, that we can be the amazing cities that they travel to see, but they just have to imagine a little bit and, in, and believe in us a little bit. Um, so it is, hard for me to, to not be able to come back to Baltimore and say, you know what, I have funding for every single school that doesn't have heat. Um, because I don't. And part of the reason I don't is because we just aren't willing to make that investment and I don't understand why. Brooke, thanks for speaking with us today. Brooke Learman is delegate to the Maryland Legislature and you can learn more about Brooke at brooklearman.com. We'll be back with another conversation in a few weeks. Until then, this is Why Did You Run?